0: Amen. Don't buy you, but I was blessed by that music. Whenever you realize your need for Him, He begins to create an insatiable appetite for Him. And the appetite can only be filled by Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. If you are visiting here, you're not a visitor, you're a guest, and we want you guys to feel right at home. I'm uh, Timothy, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a great privilege to uh, be able to present the message to you today. And today we're starting a new series from the book of Ephesians, and uh, Ephesians is one of those books that's just so exciting. I can't wait for the next few weeks. In fact, I was telling my wife, this message today is probably one of the most favorite messages I've ever spoke. So uh, hopefully, how much time do we have? (laughs) So um, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And as you turn there, um, I introduced the Wednesday night crowd a few weeks ago to to a lady named Hetty Green. Many of you may have never heard of her, but she's in the Genesis book of world records as one of the biggest misers in the whole human history. In fact, whenever her dad passed away when she was 30, he left her an inheritance for that time would be equivalent of $100 million of today's money. And she decided at the age of 30 to go to Wall Street, invest the money, and she became very successful. But Hetty became so focused on money that her family was isolated, and she lived as a pauper all of her life. She lived as a miser, even though she was extremely rich. In fact, her son, when he was little, uh, he had a leg issue, and instead of taking him to a hospital, she went to a free clinic that was just for the poor. And eventually they had to amputate his leg. That sounds really sad, right, for someone that had the money to get treated. And um, the, the people in Wall Street uh, had a very not nice thing to say about her because uh, she just didn't care a lot about people but money. And uh, they said whenever she died, she died in a debate over milk. She was debating that you should drink skim milk because it was much cheaper than whole milk. So whenever she died, her estate in today's money was valued at $4 billion, Miss Hetty Green. Yet she lived alone and miserable as a pauper, even though she was extremely wealthy. I tell you that story to say that many of us in Christ spiritually, we are rich, spiritually. And yet we live as spiritual misers. The book of Ephesians is going to teach us how extremely wealthy in Christ we are, spiritually. And all these blessings are there, but sometimes we just live in defeat. And we're just, as uh, some of some of my um, friends used to say, we're just trying to hold on until Jesus comes. But as we read Ephesians, it tells us there's so much more than what you're experiencing. And this book, as we unfold it, is just lavish with so many riches. I'm just going to give you a little biographical information since we're starting this new series and got a few notes on your outline but obviously it was written to the, the church Ephesus and Ephesus is a church that was in the western part of modern day Turkey and Ephesus um, was a very extremely wealthy city in fact uh, they found that some of the streets were paved in marble that's how it, wealthy it was In doing some excavations, they found several homes that had mosaic floors and walls covered in marble. And I I was shocked when I read this, but they even found two homes that had heated floors. How many of you had heated floors in your house? Don't raise your hand, but not many of us. So for that day and time, it was just unbelievable. They also had a temple to the goddess of love and beauty, Artemis, also known as Diana. And, um... When you think about that church, a lot of times as Christians we say, if I lived in a better culture, I'd be a better Christian, right? If we just didn't live in Asheville, we lived somewhere else, or Hendersonville, we'd be a little better off. Well, if you look at this culture, let me give you a little background on the the church of Artemis Diana. They had sacred prostitutes. In fact, uh, I read one place where, I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of prostitutes. So going to church meant committing lewd deeds. Can you imagine? Uh, there was obviously a lot more men at that church than women, probably, but um, it, it was just so sad that this this culture existed, and this was a culture that valued power, and money, and sex. Does it sound like a lot of like air culture today? And it, it was also an entertainment culture. The picture you're looking at is uh, the temple that they recreated that probably looked like for Artemis, Diana. Um, they had a library that had literally thousands of manuscripts. So for that day and time, these are the remains of the library. So it was an educational area. It was also an entertainment place where if you wanted to be entertained, they had this coliseum that seated 24 to 25,000 people. And for ancient days, that's a lot of people. And so it was almost like the modern-day equivalent of Las Vegas. Entertainment. You go in. what happens in Vegas, what, stays in Vegas? That's how Ephesus was. So to find a church that in spite of the culture it was thriving, we should learn something from it. Because I don't know about you, but today the, 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 the challenge is whatever the culture does, the church goes along with the culture, right? Wrong. We should be salt and light in the culture. We should be the one that's dictating to the culture, not the culture dictating to us. So if anything, we can learn a lot from the book of Ephesus. It was written around 80, 60, 61, and it was one of Paul's prison epistles. Also along with that, we have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, four prison epistles. So Paul was writing this to the church of Ephesus, and the treasures that we see are just phenomenal. Just to give you a little breakdown, I have a chart there from Chuck Swindoll that's very helpful you can look at later. But basically the first three chapters tell you how rich you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. And the next three chapters tell you, because this is who you are, your identity, this is now how you should live. And a lot of times in church, we get it backwards. I don't know about you, but I've been around churches that give you, here's how you're to live, but you don't really know who you are. So it comes across very legalistic. The way Paul does many of his epistles, he presents, here's the correct teaching, the correct doctrine. Here's who you are. And because of who you are, Here is now how you should live. So that's how it's presented. So let's, with that brief introduction, let's look in Ephesians 1, and we'll be covering the first six verses. If you'll read with me. If you don't have a Bible, it's in front of you, or you can look on the screen. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, And from the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, think about that. Before the world was even created, you were chosen. That's beautiful that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved, or if you have the NIV, in the one he loves. Let us pray over God's word. Father, your word is so powerful and so profound. We just want to thank you for your word, God, and pray that you would speak to our hearts today. And Father, as we learn, that Ephesus was a very pagan culture, but yet the church's Ephesus stood for truth, help us at Arden first to learn from that, not to be dictated by the demands of culture or society, but to be salt and light within the culture. So Father, we ask and pray your blessing on your word, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So kind of as an overview, the first six verses, the whole intent is verse three. Paul wants us to be able to think about how blessed we are in Christ. And this should turn to praise to God. So the the, the things we're going to talk about today as you walk away it should not be patting yourself on the back, how great you are, but it should focus your attention that because of what Jesus did. Man, this is just I, I just want to praise God. That's the whole intent of this. So. Let's start with the first point, and if you have your listening guide, you can follow along. These are eight I am statements from Ephesians. Like I said, this is so chock full of riches in Christ. The first one may shock you. I am a saint. Did you realize that you're a saint if you're a Christian? Some of you are like, no, I haven't thought about it lately. When we think of saint, some of you men think of New Orleans saints, the football team. Some of you that grew up in a Catholic background, you think of the holy saints. In fact, for those of you who do have a Catholic background, did you know that to be canonized as a saint, there are a few things you had to do? The first thing, you had to be dead for five years, so none of you would qualify right now, so I'm sorry. Um, The second thing, unless you died as a martyr, you would have to perform at least two miracles, so that would eliminate most of us, right, even if we were still alive. Um, you had to live a holy life, and you had to give your life for service. That sounds like a pretty high high um, thing to achieve, right? Attain for. But what saint means is it means that because of what Jesus did for you, you're separated. You're a saint. I mean, God is, has a certain purpose in your life. And when I read this, the early church, they used the word saint to describe a believer. That wasn't an ordinary but, you know, we don't walk up to each other. I don't walk into a wife and say, hey, St. Lori or hey, St. We don't do that, right? But that's who you are in Christ. If I had a glass of water here, um, I should have brought one today. You think about a glass. Wherever the glass glows, wherever the glass goes, the water flows. So if I push the glass towards you, all of you would be soaking wet on the first row. So it's like in Christ, when you're in Christ, Whatever happens to him, we're in him. So because he is called and because he's separated, we become that in Christ. Also, as a saint, you also have two addresses. You have a physical one here. It says the church of Ephesus and it says those who are in Christ Jesus. So you have a physical address. You guys are living in Asheville, Hendersonville, all over the place. But you also have a spiritual address. You guys are in Christ. So some of you, the physical reality may not line up with the spiritual reality, but that's okay. That's the process of God growing us and molding us. You are a saint because of what Jesus did for you. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. Because of his acceptance, you guys are now accepted as a saint. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a saint. You're either a saint or an ain't, right? The second thing is, I'm a trophy of grace. You may not believe it. It may not show it. But the scripture says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing about grace, grace is God seeing a ray of hope in you. And he's he's showing his love. And the ray of hope is not because you did anything worthwhile The ray of hope is because you would receive Jesus. And grace, I've heard it said, grace, easy way to look at it, is God's riches at Christ's expense. So grace is not earned or deserved. It wasn't because we were worthy or anything good about us. It was because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So he makes you a trophy of grace. William Temple said the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of, it, of its non-members. Now think about that. We're the only society that exists for the benefit of the non-members. Every other society is for the inside club. But as a church, we realize we've been rescued by grace. And because we've been rescued by grace, the rescued become the rescuers. And now we've become missionaries of grace. We are on mission for God to rescue and reach out to those who need the same grace that we need. Amen. Many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He was a great pastor. He's the one on your right. The one on your left is Joseph Parker. He was a fellow pastor. And they were like the two big pastors of the area in London. And their churches, I understand, were doing very well. And Joseph Parker mentioned something about Charles Spurgeon. He had this orphanage for kids. And Joseph Parker said, you know, I've noticed that the orphanage, he was commenting to somebody, the kids are really in poor shape. Well, the word got back to Spurgeon that he didn't say the kids were in poor shape, but his orphanage was in shambles and poor shape. So Spurgeon, without thinking, blasted Joseph Parker from the pulpit, which is not a good idea, by the way. He blasted him. And I don't have recorded what he said, but basically he said some not nice things about Joseph Parker. So all of a sudden, the next Sunday, Joseph Parker's church was packed out because they're like, what is he going to say to Spurgeon? I mean, Spurgeon is like, you know, the prince of preachers and he's rebuking another pastor. So the church was packed out, people wondering what his rebuke would be. And Joseph Parker said, I understand that Charles Spurgeon's not in the pulpit today, Pastor Spurgeon and normally, this Sunday, he takes them an offering for the orphanage. So what I think we should do would be fitting for our church, Instead of since we're not taking an offering, let's take them an offering for Spurgeon's orphanage. And they said the ushers collected so much money, they had to dump out the offering plates three times. And Spurgeon obviously had his lunch handed to him, so Mr. Parker heard a knock on his door, and it was Spurgeon. He came to his office at a study, and Spurgeon said... Mr. Parker, you've shown me grace. You haven't given me what I deserve, but you gave me what I needed. And Isn't that a picture of grace? God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you what you need. And when we say that we have grace, that's just such a beautiful picture. Notice it says grace and what? Peace. Did you realize that you cannot have true lasting peace unless you first have Grace. It's impossible because you can have temporary peace, but until you've been wrecked by grace and God's changed your life, until you have peace with God, you can't have the peace of God. So Paul is saying, I I speak to you, grace and peace. And because you've experienced grace, God treating you far better than what you deserve. Now you can experience peace. So not only are you a saint, but you're a trophy of grace. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm a trophy of grace. If you haven't found out by now, this is an encouraging message. You came on the good Sunday, right? Wait till next Sunday. Just playing. All right. Number three, I am already blessed. A lot of times as Christians, we think I, as I mentioned, we're just going to hold on till Jesus comes. I'm just going to try to make it till I get to heaven. But Paul says you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, in Jesus Christ. So think about that. You're already blessed. Now, if I remember from English class, blessed is a past tense verb. So if I'm already blessed, then why is my life stressed? If I'm already blessed, why am I having problems paying the mortgage bill, right? If I'm already blessed, why is this happening? Well, a few things will help us. The first thing it says, spiritual blessing. So this doesn't promise prosperity gospel. So, you know, some television pastors, if you just give 19.99 to my calls, God's going to bless you. I'll send you a prayer cloth and you're blessed. Well, no, spiritual blessing, it doesn't eliminate material, but it's talking about in the spiritual realms. Notice it says in the heavenly places. So my blessings are up there. So part of my problem is I'm looking down here to be all my needs to be met and to be satisfied when Paul says your blessings are with Christ. So if they're up there, why am I trying to look at everything down here to make me happy? That's part of my problem. And it says, in Christ Jesus. So my blessings are in Christ. So here's the the practicality. Whenever you're in a place where what you need is not there, whenever you feel like you're going through a desert of the soul, you feel dry inside, just realize you are already blessed. You just have to go after God in prayer and ask him to bring down the blessings. So let's say if I'm discouraged, I feel so discouraged. When I read the Psalms, you often hear David said he speaks to his soul and says rejoice, why are you so down my soul? Rejoice in the Lord. Notice it says in the Lord, right? And Paul tells us that in the New Testament that we can find joy in the blessings up there. Then I wrote down this thought, and the next time you're depressed, become impressed with the fact that you are blessed because you are blessed. You can overcome stress and it helps you when your life is a mess to remember that you're blessed. So when you think about the blessings in Christ and right now you're not presently experiencing, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we have to go after God in prayer. So part of the new year is asking God for big things. And you may have noticed in your bulletin, uh, some many of us are doing the Daniel fast and, um, I had one guy thought it started this Sunday. Well, that's for the three-day fast. Most of us started last week. But if you want to start this Sunday, it would end the following Wednesday. But basically, the purpose of a fast is to ask God, God, I know I'm already blessed. What blessings do you need to unleash for this new year? It's denying the physical so you can seek out the spiritual. So notice it says blessed with every spiritual blessing. It doesn't promise that you'll have everything you ever want. But it does promise that. God has blessed you and the things that you need in your life to live the victorious life God has in Christ. Amen. The fourth I am is I am chosen. Notice the next phrase in verse four, it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And don't raise your hand for this, but have you ever not been chosen for, say, something like a sports team? You remember in high school? When they, they they had the two captains, and they would pick the best of the best. And You ever get chosen last? Some of you are like, no, I'm the best athlete there is. Some of you are shaking your heads. Well, for those of you who are good athletes, um, you remember in your single days when you pursued someone and they rejected you? You didn't feel chosen then, right? In life, we don't like not being chosen or picked. And what this verse says, basically, is that God chose you for his family. You were fashioned to be part of God's family. He picked you for his team. And that's a good promise. And notice the phrase that says, before the foundation of the world. Now, ask me to explain this and I can't. The only thing I can say is before the world was created, God knew that he would eventually create you. And he also knew that eventually you would receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you were chosen. You were fashioned for his family. That's such a beautiful thing to know that you're chosen. Number five, I am holy. Now, that may shock some of you, right? But it says that we should be holy and without blame. Now, remember, I gave the glass illustration that wherever the glass goes, the water flows. If you are in Christ, is Christ holy? So if you're in Christ, you're holy. Even though positionally you are practically, you may not feel like it. In fact, if I talk to some of your spouses or your kids or your parents, they may tell me dad or mom doesn't act very holy. But here, here's the whole process of Christian growth. It's becoming what you are as our whole theme, become what you are. Even though positionally or practically you may not be living that lifestyle, in Christ we're to become what we are in Christ. D.L. Moody said a holy life will make the deepest impression." Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. I thought that was really cool. So the other day, my wife is actually yesterday. She was typing up for her website. And all of a sudden, the power went out on the computer. I didn't have the charger connected to it. She's like, oh, no. I was like, did you save the the changes? And she said, not all of them. And I was like, all right, well, hopefully you haven't lost your work that you've been working on. Because as a mother of four... Time is very valuable, and you may not get any more time in the day. So we plugged the computer back up, and sure enough, we were able to save the work. But do you remember in the old school days before they had auto-save on a computer, when the power went out, you lost everything? I remember being a student. You know, you type up a, a document, a paper for school, and all of a sudden the power goes off, and that's before Word had the auto-save, and you lose everything. Well, here's the, here's the picture. In your old life, you were under the old power. You were under the power of the world, the devil, etc. But whenever the power came on, the power of Christ, he erased the old hard drive. And so now when God looks at you, he sees you through Christ that you're holy. And to me, that's really good news. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is not in your notes, but you can write it down. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And here's how this happened. It says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin... To become a sin offering for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So when God looks at you now, he sees Jesus. And that's, that's so refreshing to think about. Because I'm in Christ, I'm holy. Number six, I am loved. It says that you were chosen to be holy and without blame before him in love. Did you guys realize that you're loved far beyond what you deserve? You're also loved far beyond what you realize. And I do have a parallel for this. I told my wife I was going to use her as an illustration today, which I never do, right? Um, my wife, for those of you who don't know her story, visitors, I pursued her for five months, and she rejected me for five months. They say pastors marry above their heads, and I would agree. That's probably why she said no, but I was a prayer warrior, right? So I kept praying. But one thing I realized is when I didn't love her, I mean, excuse me, when I loved her and she didn't return, I still persisted. And I went after her even though she had no interest at all. I loved her before she loved me. And when I look at God, his love for us, we weren't, we weren't interested in a relationship with God. We were playing hard to get, right? We thought we had better suitors out there. Not that she thought that. But, uh, but God relentlessly pursued us until finally his grace wore us down and we're like, all right, I accept and whenever we receive God, and this is where the analogy from, for, it, doesn't, it blows human comparison, His love is beyond any human love we could ever fathom. And if you'll give God a chance with a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll realize that you are loved. And you are loved so much that's going to change your, your life. Jeremiah 31, three, The Lord appeared to me in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So I've drawn you in with unfailing kindness. Now think about that. I've loved you with an everlasting love. And I don't fully understand this logically, but as long as God's been alive, which has been forever, he said, I've loved you everlastingly. Even before you were created, I loved you. That's how great His love for us. You were loved, you were cherished, you were adored. Jesus loves you wild beyond, he loves you far beyond your wildest dreams. In fact, we say this to our kids every night. We try to remember every night our four kids, we say, I love you always, I love you forever, and I love you no matter what. And when you're in Christ, he loves you always, he loves you forever, and he loves you no matter what. That's good news, amen? Anybody get encouraged today? All right. Number seven, I am adopted. And I don't know if we have anyone adopted here today, but let's go back and read this phrase in verse five. Ephesians 1, verse 5. This is, uh, this is where a lot of churches get in controversy, but uh, we're going to try to explain it the best we can. It says, having predestined us. Anybody ever gotten a debate of a predestination? We're not going to go there. But having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So here's the idea. Adoption is different than natural birth. Okay, we've been through natural birth four times now, and... Neither of those times have we been able to pick out the gender, um, the hair color, the skin color, the personality, any of those things, right? That's natural birth, unless you do genetic engineering, which we've never done. But adoption, on the other hand, for those of you who have been adopted physically, did you know that your parents chose you? Um adoption's a process where you can look and you can specify if you want a guy or girl in, in the natural realm. So here, here's the beautiful thing. God knew exactly who you were. And he chose you. He adopted you. Now, when we say that word predestination, a lot of churches get in debates and people split over it. But I want you to see it as a positive thing. I want you to see it as adoption. It's a positive thing. God chose you to be part of his team. And this is given to Christians. So it's a promise for Christians. Now, here's what I think predestination doesn't mean. So for people whose minds want to go there, I don't think it's a cold determinism. Like you're chosen, but you're not. I don't think it means that. I don't think it's a cold case that some are bound for heaven and others are bound for destruction. I've never seen anywhere in the Bible where anyone was predestined to hell. But here's what I do think it means. That God chose you to be on his team. He fashioned you for his family. So when it says in in Ephesians, it's in the Bible, when it says you're predestined, it's written to believers. It's a promise. And this, this fully doesn't fully explain it. We'll never solve the debate throughout until we meet Jesus face to face. I'm not going to solve it with this illustration, but this has helped me out is think about your favorite movie that you've seen so many times, you know, what each character is going to say, you know, the outcome of the movie. And sometimes you wish the characters would do something different, but you know, you know, what's going to happen in the end. You're like, don't go there. Something bad's awaiting. Well, here's how I view this, this family promise of predestination. God foreknows what's going to happen. He's seen the end of the movie, but he's also the director of the movie. And he's trying to direct us and lead us, but he's given us free will, and we make choices. He knows what choices we're going to make. But in the end, he sees those who are going to receive Christ, and he sees those who are going to reject Christ. And that's how I view it. And uh, I have people on both sides. I have Calvinistic friends that disagree and vice versa, and that's okay. But I view this as a promise that we are in God's family. And let let me give you a verse here. It says in First 1 Peter 1-2, it says, "...who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father." And that verse says part of us saying that we're chosen is foreknowledge. God knows the events before they happen. He sees the end of the movie. And somehow, looking down the corridors of time, he saw you say yes to Jesus. And he saw this other person say no. He, and the thing about we know from Second Peter 3-9, God doesn't want anyone to say no to Jesus. The Bible says that He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. So, our job as people who are filled with grace, as trophies of grace, is to go after everybody and pray that God will move on everyone's heart and somehow that they will say yes to Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. So, you are chosen. You are adopted. And that's something so beautiful to be adopted. Finally, I'm accepted. Notice it says that we are accepted in the beloved. Also, it can be translated in the one he loves, talking about Jesus. Because we are in Christ, we're accepted. You know how bad it feels to be rejected for anything? Have you ever not been invited to a social outing, a dinner, a party, and you feel that, why didn't they call me? Why didn't they invite me? Did you know that because you're in Christ, and as I mentioned, the whole thing is not because of anything we've done or not done, It's simply because of grace that we're accepted now, just as you are. And that's the that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. You know, we have a few teenagers in the church and you guys will have to think back your time in high school. Do you remember all the different classes of people in high school? You had the rednecks. You had the preppies. You had the jocks. um, Who else? You had the musicians, the skaters. um, You had all these different classifications. And, but what was it? They were trying to feel accepted, right? You know, in the workforce, it, it's still the same, right? We want to be accepted. But you can know that in Christ, no matter what, you're accepted. And that's something so beautiful. You're accepted in Christ. So I was reading a story about this teacher, and he's since passed away. His name is Jaime Escalante. He was a teacher. He was telling this story about this co-teacher. And his co-teacher had two kids in his class, both named Johnny. As you can tell from the one picture, one Johnny was studious. He always had his hand up, teacher, I have a question. The other Johnny, on the other hand, would make mischief, would get himself in trouble. He was the type of kid that would end up in in in-school suspension, the note getting written home to their parents. If your kids aren't here, how many of your kids were that way? How many of you were that way? All right. So um, you know how that is. So they had their first PTO. And by the way, we have a lot of re- teachers and retired teachers, so this, this is a little fun. You know how the parent-teacher orientation goes. You meet the parent, and the parents used to have questions. And usually the kids that really the parents want them to achieve, they're the parents that come. The kids like Johnny, a lot of times their parents won't show up to PTO. So one of the parents came to the teacher and said, how is Johnny doing? Tell me about Johnny. Is he doing well in class? And the teacher, assuming this was the good student, said, Johnny is just the best kid I've ever had. I mean, he's so alert and aware. And I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have class without Johnny. He kept going on and on. So the mom went, and ho- went home and told Johnny, and it was the mischievous Johnny, by the way. It wasn't the other Johnny's mom. The teacher loves you. He thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're great. So guess what? The next day, mischievous Johnny showed up and said, I never had a teacher That talked about me like you did. I never had anyone that wanted me in their class. So that day he paid attention. He focused. The next day he brought his homework for like the first time ever. And he became the hardest working student in the class. And actually became the teacher's friend. What happened? It was because the teacher had the wrong identity. He thought it was the other Johnny. And here's what happens with Christians. Sometimes you guys are living under the old Johnny. You're thinking of the old Jew, but you know what? In Christ, there's a new Johnny. There's a new Jill. There's someone new in town. So why are you living the old facade? That's the old Jew. That's the old man. you got to reckon him dead, the Bible says. So just a little review. Um, i got a few stickers, and we're going to do a different closing I've never done in 18 years. I was telling the young adult class here. Um, at the very end, I'm going to have... Uh, A few people come up and if any of these points registered to you, registered in your mind, we're going to come forward and we're going to put a sticker on you and we're going to pray God's blessing. So, you know, one thing is I'm a trophy of grace. I may not feel like it some days. I may not feel like getting out of bed in the morning. But when God looks at me, he says, Timothy's a trophy of grace. He's been embraced by grace. You know, sometimes I feel alone. I feel like no one understands me. But you know what? I'm adopted. Because I'm adopted, God chose me. And you notice I didn't have time to explain the text, but it says adopted as sons. It didn't say as a child. In the Greco-Roman world, when you're adopted as a son, you have full rights. You're a co-heir. And the Bible says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So You're adopted as a son, and you have all the rights of a son or a daughter. Amen? You know, this is really encouraging, but I'm a saint. (laughs) I may not act like it sometimes, I may not feel like it, but God has called me. And He said, Timothy, you're special. He said, No matter what anyone else says, I think you're a saint. You know, sometimes I feel burdened and I feel stressed, but Jesus said, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And no matter what the devil says, I can point back to the cross and say, because of what Jesus did, I'm blessed. Sometimes when you feel left out, alone, sometimes when you feel like life's not going your way, you can realize that you're chosen. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you. He says yes to us first before we ever say yes to him. Not only that, but um, I'm holy. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful to know that the Bible says that you're holy and without blame now in Christ? Not only am I holy, but in Christ I'm loved. Jesus loves you as a believer always, forever, no matter what. And if you've ever felt rejected or felt like you don't line up or you don't match up, You can know that you're accepted now. From this point on in Christ, you're accepted. It looks like I'm running for office, don't I, with all these badges. But here's here's what I want to close. I'm going to close with a prayer. And our hymn of invitation is I'm going to ask Tom and George to come up and Adam. And they're going to be ministers of grace to you. If you guys need any of these areas, and you guys come on up. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But well, this is going to be a different hymn of response. Tom, you're accepted and loved. So if you guys ever needed to feel accepted and loved, come to Tom and he's going to he's going to put a sticker on you to symbolize what you are in Christ. All right, there we go. Tom, if you'll go ahead and stand on the very end. Adam, no matter what Renee says, you are holy. And no matter what happens in your life, in Christ, you're chosen. So Adam is holy and chosen. If that res- res- resonates with you, and some of you may be like me, and you get all the stickers. All right, George. Let's see. George, you are blessed and you are a saint. And you'll need to get the blessed sticker out because I didn't get it out for you. And um, let's see. And you are adopted. Mr. Tom, Good. and you are a trophy of grace. So I'm going to pray in just a moment, and like there's no pressure here, but if you need encouragement, this is like, this is the different type of invitation. If you need encouragement, you can grab the sticker off. Here's the adopted. If you need encouragement, these guys will be here just to say a quick prayer over you and encouragement. And some of you may need to go through all the line. But these are just visual reminders of who you are in Christ, because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't realize who we are in Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. For this first six verses, I can't wait to go through this book together, but thank you for the blessings we have in Christ, that we are a saint in Christ, a trophy of grace, already blessed, chosen, holy, loved, adopted and accepted. And, Father, before we give this hymn of response, I just want to say a quick prayer for anyone that may, may not be in Christ. And no one looking around right now. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor Timothy, all those sound like great promises, but I'm not in Christ. I've never given my life over to Christ. And it's very simple. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says He stands at the door of your heart and He knocks. And if you're willing to invite Him in, if you're willing to ask forgiveness of your sins, to believe that He paid your debt, your debt that you couldn't pay, through his death and resurrection, the Bible says Jesus will come in and have a relationship with you. If there's anyone that needs to pray receive, receive Christ just right where you're sitting, just say something in your own words like, "Jesus, I need you." Just like the song we sang, "I need you." Please forgive me for where I've fallen short of you of all my sins. Jesus, I believe that you died and you rose again. And I want you to come into my life. I want you to rise up in my heart. Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please see me or one of the leaders up front. We want to welcome you to the family of God. So, Father, now as we come forward, I pray that you would help us to experience the blessings as we sing this song. And if we need encouragement in any way, help us to walk away refreshed and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing this song... You'll stand. If you want to come forward and be blessed or have someone to pray for you, the altar's open.